Welcome. You're listening to Janesville Mobilizing for Changes Together for Change podcast. Your source for local substance abuse prevention matters in Janesville and Rock County. Here's your host, Aaron Davis. Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Aaron Davis, your host for Together for Change. Today we have with us Jenny Hallett of Brittany's Alcoholism Counseling and Prevention. Welcome, Jenny. Hi there. Thank you for having me. One of the common themes that I've heard from the previous two guests is that substance use can alter brain development in youth. Today we're going to explore that a little further, and Jenny is going to tell us a little about what alcohol and other substances do to the youth brain. So first of all, I would like to just uh, make it clear I'm not a doctor, but uh, my daughter uh, died, Brittany Rose Hallett, she died from alcohol addiction about five years ago. So I've uh, been researching um, pretty much everything I can find on addiction for about the last seven years. So you have a Facebook series on addiction, is that right? Yes. um, Actually, my series is on YouTube. And so um, anytime that I'm speaking at different events, and I've actually started also creating my own videos on different topics about addiction. So it's on a YouTube channel that's also called Brittany's Alcoholism Counseling and Prevention. You can find it out there. Well, let's, um, let's jump right into the discussion of brain development. Okay. Why don't we start with how this looks when, let's say, a 13-year-old starts drinking for the first time. What are some of the biggest consequences to that child's brain that they might be able to find right away? Yes, so what they're finding is um, there's a lot of research and statistics out there talking about how um, the earlier that a child starts drinking for the first time can actually have a huge impact on uh, their brain development uh, because basically people don't realize that um, your brain is actually still developing until you're about the age of 25. So when you start uh, drinking alcohol and really any other drug, because alcohol is a drug, but um, it it can actually affect that actual development of your brain, which is kind of important to have. So it can affect those connections that your brain is still trying to develop in there. So um, When you say connections, what mm -hmm. do you mean, Jenny? So like when you're a baby you don't have a lot of connections in your brain to be able to form, you know, memories or to figure out how to make movement and that kind of thing. That's the best way I can describe it. Okay. So So basically I think mm -hmm. to myself, I want to move my hand and I move my hand. Right, because you have connections within your brain going from this part of the brain to that part of the brain that is continually growing these connections in there that allows you to do that. And so... um, Considering a baby, you know, you start out, they don't have that many connections. But during adolescence, that's when you have um, just a huge rush of all of these connections are being developed. There's uh, actually a neuroscientist, Dr. Stephen Dewey, that has a video out there that has a very, very, very good um, explanation of addiction and how it works. And he talks about um, specifically alcohol, but I'm sorry, um, on this particular one on um pot. And so he says the frontal lobe, that's kind of where you um, have your decision making is takes place in the frontal lobe of your brain. And so that's where you're allowed to take like different sets of data point of information. 
and kind of put them all together to make kind of a, a, a smart decision. And so the way he describes in the case, in his example in the video is about pot. Um, so he says that basically when you use pot, let's say you're at 15, and you start doing that, it actually arrests the brain development in that part of the brain. So let's say you do that till you're about 25, and then you quit using pot, then at that point it will start those con you know, it will start to grow again and develop again, but you now are a 25 year old with a 15 year old frontal lobe if that makes sense. So it, it really does affect the actual development of your brain when you have, you know, mind altering addictive type drugs. So if somebody's frontal lobe isn't fully developed, then where are they trying to make rational decisions from? Well, they're doing the best they can with what they have, <laughs> you know. So that's why, um, in his scenario. You know, he'll talk about how that's why a lot of teenagers, you know, kind of um, do what we might call sort of irrational behavior because they haven't developed the ability to really take all those data points together and make a really good decision. So if I wanted to see Dr. Dewey's research, where could I find that? Yes, you can go out on the Internet and you can search under, uh, his name is spelled, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, and Dewey is spelled D-E-W-E-Y. So he's a neuroscientist, and he actually does PET scan imaging. And so Jenny, what is a PET scan? Can so you talk about what that might look like? And yes, yes, absolutely. What it might show? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's what's so fascinating about this. The, his talk when he speaks about this is because um, he explains how a PET scan, it actually, it's not a picture of your brain. It's more of a picture of how your brain lives. So uh, it gets very, very detailed and technical, probably a lot more than I could do right now. But Could you tell me what you mean when you say that? Yes. If you were to pick up a tennis ball and squeeze it and squeeze it and squeeze it, you are expending energy and your body needs sugar to do that. And so what they will do is actually take um, regular sugar. They lace it basically with a, kind of like a, um, a label, something that actually attaches to the sugar, so that when they inject that in you, now when your brain, let's say you do that squeezing the um, ball over and over and over, your body has to use up that sugar to do that. And so this will actually pick up the part of your brain that expends that that takes up that sugar. So they can tell where in your brain, you know, this is what part of the brain you're using when you do that. So if I am just theorizing here, but if I'm squeezing a tennis ball with my right hand, mm -hmm. I mean, I would guess that someplace in my left brain is going to show up this color because that is the part of my brain that's teaching this hand to squeeze. Yeah, the exact part of your brain that you're using to do that is the part that will actually show up. And so they, you know, they can actually show people, um, you know, images of, say, drug paraphernalia, and you'd be able to see the part of your brain that gets set off by that, just by seeing that image. So it's pretty fascinating. So and how does the PET scan then translate to substance use? So really, the probably the the best part in uh, his explanation that I could really relate to because he's talking about, you know, alcoholism, which is what my daughter died from, 
Um, but basically, he talks about how um, the metabolic rate that your brain uses, and this is all technical that he will explain in there, but it's measured by the PET scan. And so a person, when they take a drink of alcohol, he can measure, take a PET scan, and so he can look at first your normal PET scan, then when you drink, basically that change in the brain scan, it takes about a week for it to go back to normal, believe it or not. So um, it's, it's in your system, you know, it affects your brain longer than what you're actually feeling. And so how he describes it is a person um, will drink, takes about a week for it to go back to normal, then they drink, and then it takes about a week for that brain scan to go back to normal. And he said they'll kind of keep doing that over and over and over, and it'll keep going back to normal until it doesn't anymore. So that's where the addiction is, is when it's kind of like your body finally adapts, and it's sort of, you know, for somebody who actually gets addiction, it's kind of like your body finally adapts, and it stays down at that other rate. But the interesting thing is that then when that person who now has that, um, so now their normal brain scan is what used to be when they drank. And so then it becomes to where if that person now drinks, now they have a normal brain scan. So it actually becomes they drink to feel normal again. And that was so powerful to me because that's what I witnessed my daughter going through. So when somebody has the abnormal brain scan and it's become permanent, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you just 20 years later, about. you can take a brain scan, it'll still be that abnormal, what would normally be an abnormal scan, that is their new normal. So what is happening during this new normal in the brain? What, what has changed because of the regular constant use of alcohol? Mm-hmm. And how long does it take to get there? Well, and that's the interesting thing, because I think it can be different for different people. Um, I've talked to many people who will say when they were 12, they got into their liquor cabinet, you know, parents' liquor cabinet, and they could not stop right from the first time. That's kind of rare. But it's different for everybody. So that I don't know if they really have. It's not the same, you know, for everybody. Um, But basically, uh, there's just so much about, um, you know, the, the... he talks about AD, ADD and ADHD and how that affects. So basically, some people have more dopamine than normal, and some people have less dopamine than normal. And then it's the change in that dopamine level that seems to be the problem. Uh, it's, it's very, very complex. It's a lot more than I can kind of describe right now. So does the change in dopamine predicate an addiction, or does the change in dopamine, is that caused by the regular use of substances? The way he explains it is someone who has, let's say, ADD or ADHD, if, so their, their dopamine levels are off. If they get the drug that treats that, he, he recommends that, because if they, if they treat that, then they'll be, you know, that's much better for them. It's when they don't treat that and then they drink like alcohol. Basically, they're self-medicating to help them feel better. So, and that then can cause them, can lead them into addiction. So does the alcohol then increase the dopamine levels in someone's body? 
oh yeah, that's what's really fascinating. When you have a happy experience in life, um, maybe with a good friend or your child or something, uh, you have like a, uh, let's see, like five or six percent increase in dopamine. When you take, uh, you know, a drug, it might be 500,000 percent increase in dopamine. Um, I believe it was methamphetamine is about 900,000 percent increase in dopamine. So, you know, that's huge. So it, it, it is a big rush, um, but you can't maintain that, you know, for very long. So when somebody has the, the new normal back at the, mm -hmm. the PET scan, mm -hmm. are, is what you're seeing then a regular increased level of dopamine? Well, and dopamine, dopamine has um, a big impact on how you feel pleasure as well. So, you know, some people, well, most people probably relate to the fact that, you know, maybe when you first start drinking, you can drink one, one or two glasses of wine or whatever. Um, but it gets to a point where your body sort of adapts. It, it actually um, changes what they call the pleasure reward system. And so now you have to drink more because your body kind of adapts to it. So now you have to drink more to feel that same amount so it gets to where you have to drink more and more and more, you know, and at a certain point, you're chasing, you can't get to that high that you're chasing that you used to get. So they call it chasing, you're basically you're chasing the high, kind of like a dog chasing its tail. Um, and it gets to a point where you physically could not get enough alcohol in you, you know, to to ever get that high that you're trying to get because it's too toxic for you. You know, you've just gotten... So that's kind of where the high tolerance... Sometimes people think, I think, that just because they can drink so much without feeling the effects of it, they think that's a good thing. But really, it could be, you know, a good sign that, that your, you know, your tolerance level is getting higher and higher. In addition to dopamine, I'm sure there are many other uh, brain consequences that are happening... What's another one that you can tell us about? Sure. So basically, there's a lot of consequences with alcohol in general. But, you know, alcohol actually interferes, you know, with the ability to create and form memories. Um, it, it disrupts a person's ability to, you know, form the lasting memory. So they might be able to recall something that just happened, you know, for a little bit but to really to be able to kind of um, make that connection in your brain so you can recall that memory later, that, that gets affected with it. Um, so things like facts. So that's why it affects kids like in school. You know, because if you are going to school uh, under the influence, you're not going to be able to maintain, make those connections in the first place in your brain to be able to recall them back as well. So are you talking about events that happened while you were under the influence, or are you talking about events that just happened even when you're not intoxicated? No, it's while, while you're under the influence, it's definitely going to you know affect what what's happening at that time. That's why a lot of times people will... Um, you know, say, hey, I don't remember what happened last night. Even <laughs> you know, though when they, they were intoxicated. Right. right. Yeah, they were conscious, but the next day they might not remember much about it. Or they could have blacked out too. Yeah. It, does that happen often to people who are drinking? The thing is, is, especially with, say, college age, but, you know, younger kids too, there's, there's, there's a 
big growing trend of kids, you know, on purpose drinking to the point of blacking out. They do that on purpose. And it's really, really dangerous because you're getting high levels. You know, alcohol is a legal drug. It's a toxin. And it's just you're not meant to have that much in your system. And so people will drink and drink and drink at parties and things. And, of course, you're running the risk of uh, when someone passes out, they may actually be, you know, people will say, oh, we'll let them just sleep it off. But what they don't realize maybe is that alcohol takes a while to get really into your blood system all the way. So a person may pass out. They think, oh, we'll just let them sleep it off. And, you know, they might be all right. But they could be getting more and more drunk while they're passed out and to the point of death. And so, um, and they're not just drinking, are they? There are other ways that they're receiving the alcohol that they're using. What are some of those ways? Oh, yeah, there's some pretty scary things that kids are, you know, doing out there that, uh, quite frankly, I never knew. <laughs> um, one of them is, gosh, it's called eyeballing. And so they might take, say, a bottle of vodka and um, put it up to their eyeball. It's kind of like a game, you know, and seeing how long a person can hold that, um, put it right up to their eye and open their eye, and it, basically you're pouring this vodka right into your eyeball. And can they become intoxicated that way? Absolutely. Actually, I think faster. And so the big reason that people will do that, a couple things, is number one, they're not going to, um, they get pulled over with a breathalyzer. They don't have alcohol in their breath. So, you know, that doesn't show up. Um, so, you know, like for other people, say parents, looking at their kids, if you see one eye that's kind of red, but not the other, that would be a, a big indication that might have happened. Now, the real problem is someone could do it maybe even just one time and decide that wasn't very smart because I guess it kind of hurts when you do it. I would imagine so. Yeah, and it, it also affects your vision because uh, you don't you can't see out of it when it's all in there. You get kind of blurry. Um, but the thing is, is someone could think, well, that wasn't very smart. I'm not going to do that again. Six to nine months later, they could start losing their vision and literally go blind, and it's progressive and irreversible, they say. I'm if it happens. Not everybody goes blind, but... A lot of them do. I'm surprised they wouldn't go blind right away. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you think of what mm -hmm. vodka is, mm -hmm. and that's just mind-boggling. Yeah, and the other unbelievable thing, in it, a lot of this is just all about, you know, not wanting to be detected. So there's actually something called tamping, and it's not just for girls. As a matter of fact, they say guys tend to maybe do it more. So tamping is kind of what it sounds like. You're using a tampon and you're saturating it in maybe vodka, you know, some kind of alcohol. And either it could be, you know, you know, girls use it or guys can use it rectally. So, yeah, so there's, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, guys might think that that's just a girl thing, but a lot of guys are doing this too. So the point, again, is, you know, you do that, it absorbs into your bloodstream, and yet you're not going to show up on a breathalyzer. And you're not, your eyes aren't going to be, you know, bloodshot and things like that. But it's, but you know, just one time of use can cause sterility. You know, in a female, um, he talks about the um, alcohol is kind of a drying agent. So you know, rectally, it it can actually kind of dry out your colon, which can lead 
to to sepsis and could you know well I'm sure there's all so, sorts of yes. complications that can happen because of that that's really yeah. unfortunate that kids are doing that mm -hmm. or college age students youth yes are doing that these days mm -hmm. Jenny do you have anything else you'd like to share on the subject of brain development those are really some of my best things you know I do recommend that you can take a look at that video uh, it goes into much more detail if you really want to learn about addiction but um, yeah, so, and, and so, you know, I have a website, um, so you can reach it by going to www.brittanysacap.com, so that's B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-S-A-C-A-P.com. All right, well, thank you, Jenny. We're going to take a quick break to hear from Sheriff Knutson about the social host ordinance, and then we'll be back. Underage drinking is against the law. Hello, this is Rock County Sheriff Troy Knutson. Under Wisconsin state law, it is illegal for adults to provide a location for underage drinking parties, even in their own home. The first violation will cost you more than $450. Don't worry about being the popular parent. Be the responsible one. Those who host lose the most. This message brought to you by the Rock County Prevention Network. Well, now you have it. Hosting an underage drinking party can cost hundreds. With the holidays right around the corner, I can think of better ways to spend my money. So, Jenny, thank you for all the information that you gave us today. Um, I know that you're very invested in reducing alcoholism. Can you tell us, would you like to talk about that? Well, yes, I'm, you know, I'm very active in uh, trying to, uh, you know, make changes to help reduce you know, alcohol use so that people stay safe. And so if, if anyone would want to reach out with me and work with me on that, I would love to have people, uh, you know, you can always email me um, and we can get together. And I'm trying, I've got a few people that have talked about wanting to get together about, uh, you know, really talking about the issues and maybe even educating legislators about these issues to help get some changes made, so. And you had mentioned losing a daughter to alcoholism. Is that what started you on your journey to prevention? Absolutely, yes. My daughter, Brittany Rose Hallett, um, she actually died at the age of 26, so very young. It took her very, very quickly. And, um, you know, from the very minute, literally that night when I saw the coroners walking away, I absolutely wanted to just scream. I kept thinking about people all around the Janesville and surrounding areas in Milton, um, you know, living their normal life, not realizing this very real and present danger of alcohol. That's a legal drug. It's a toxin, and um, it happens to be a drug that you know it's liquid form and it tastes good, but it's still a drug. So anyway, so I just immediately wanted to be able to to educate the public and hopefully prevent someone else from losing their child um, because it's something that's with me at every moment with every breath I ever take. So even on my happiest days, it's, it's, it's always at the service. And so now you take this message, and where do you go with it? So I have actually been to lots of different places all over Wisconsin. Um, I've even been to Washington, D.C. I actually got to meet the Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Jerome Adams, and he was amazing, uh, very compassionate. His own brother actually struggles with uh, drug addiction. So he's very open to, he understands. 
Um, but I've talked on the steps of the Wisconsin State Capitol for the, the Wisconsin Voices of Recovery um, annual event they have up there. Um, I actually just got to speak uh, for the first time at um, uh, the same college that Brittany went to. And so I was able to talk to a group of the sorority for their alcohol event. And on uh, November 5th, that will be the five-year anniversary from when Brittany died. And I'm actually scheduled on that very day to get to speak um, at her college, two different classes at her college. So I'm really looking forward to that. I can't think of a more fitting you know, place to speak on that day. And I did get to speak out also with her high school, Milton High School. Um, and you could have heard a pin drop in that room with you know, the sophomores and seniors that were listening. Do you also speak to legislators and other decision makers? Absolutely, yes. I, any, any opportunity I can get, um, I go up to the state capitol, um, any uh, events where you know, you're in a position to be able to speak to them. I introduce myself, show them her picture, explain to, you know, about her story. Um, actually, State Representative Don Vruink, when I introduced myself to him, he was actually Brittany's teacher in high school. I was just amazed. So he's been very, very um, empathetic as well. So. And when you go to speak to lawmakers, do you have a specific ask or something that you're looking for? Yes. So when I'm... Right now, I'm kind of in those beginning stages, and that's what I want to do more of because I really want to learn um, more about what they're working on, and I would like to be able to let them know really what needs to be done, what it's like for people that are struggling with addiction who can't get the help they need. Basically, 90% of people with addiction can't get the help they need, that's, and, and the ones that do get it, not nearly enough. So I'm, I really want to work on educating legislators about the very, very real need of being able to get funding for affordable you know, uh, prevention, treatment, and recovery options. Because recovery is just as important to help stay in recovery. And I think that was one of the big deterrents with Brittany is there's so much... Um, our society revolves so much around alcohol. You know, everything all of her friends ever wanted to do all involved alcohol, and I think it just seemed too daunting. So there needs to be more, you know, more resources and um, places for people that are in recovery, you know, to go, and just so many things. You there know. need to be more alcohol-free opportunities. Absolutely, and, and there needs to be more employers willing to, you know, give these people a second chance because you know, they're in recovery, and uh, gosh, I'm telling you, some of what I have found in all the people that I've spoken with, um, whether I'm talking to them or the loved ones of them, is I'm finding a real key that seems to be very sensitive, loving people. And I almost wonder if there isn't something in there that just, you know, they're so sensitive and loving that maybe things just sort of bother them. I don't know. So, yes, so basically I just want people to understand that, you know, alcoholism and, and drug addiction can happen to anybody, all walks of life. You know, it can happen to any age, any profession, and, you know, it can happen to the best of people and the most loving people. My daughter was just one of the most loving, family-oriented people, uh, extremely intelligent, you know, her whole life, 
somebody you would never believe this could happen to. She would have rolled her eyes if I would have told her ahead, you know, be careful, you might become addicted because she just wasn't what people kind of stereotype is what you think, you know, it should happen, the kind of person it should happen to. So Because it really can happen to anyone. Absolutely, and it does. And so in your daughter's case, unfortunately, the consequence of her her alcohol use was death. What are some of the other consequences that might happen to somebody when they're drinking, whether they are underage or of age? There are so there are so many things that can happen to people that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, my daughter had pancreatitis, which can be life threatening. Uh, she had esophageal varices. Okay, so her liver was so scarred that the uh, blood couldn't get through her liver. So it backed up into the veins of her esophagus. So your veins in the esophagus aren't meant to hold that volume of blood. So they were bulging. and They could have burst at any moment. She would have died instantly. So, you know, it it can cause cancer. There's just so many things that people don't realize that, that it could cause. Those sound like really severe things. Yes, yes. And so, you know, yes, those are definitely kind of some of the life-threatening type things. But it also can affect people um, in school. There, you know, affects their schoolwork. can affect your relationships with your family. Um, and that's one thing I would guess I would like to also point out is, you know, if, you, if you're, someone you love is struggling with addiction, try to, you know, maybe hate the disease but love you know, unconditionally, too. Um, so, you know, you can run into legal problems because of drugs or alcohol. And when you're under the influence, you're vulnerable. So people can do things to you, you know, that maybe you would have been able to kind of fend off. Or you might do things you wouldn't normally do when you're under the influence as well. The, the thing is, too, you know, like we've said before, when you're drinking at an early age, it really does affect your brain development that can last that can actually have impacts throughout your whole future. It can literally make you more susceptible to addiction later in life as an adult, which I don't think people realize. So, Jenny, if there was one thing you'd like to tell parents, what would that be? Would it be a message of hope, a message of caution? Uh, My message just would be don't ever think it can't happen to your own child. Honestly, I would... I still can't believe it happened to my daughter, and it did. <laughs> so don't ever think that it can't happen because even, you know, I think part of hers was, you know, kind of drinking to fit in or to help kind of help her over her shyness in the beginning. And so um, don't ever think that it can't happen is the big thing. And one of the number one um, ways that a, a parent can help they're finding is talk to your kids, you know. Um, I'm sure that we... I probably said something, but I never really had a big, big discussion about, you know, drinking and drugs, because I never really thought my kids would ever do that, you know, and it's something that, uh, you know, just have that talk with them, because kids definitely listen a lot more than you think they are. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard sometimes, too, that it's best to talk to kids when they're in the car, because they don't have to look at you. Right, and they can't escape. (laughs) Right, they can't run away. If anyone would like to get involved with you and what you're doing, how can they get a hold of you? Yes, so I have an email address, and that is at J-E-N-N-Y-H-A-L-L-E-T-T at 
BrittanysACAP.com. So that's B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-S-A-C-A-P.com. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today for Together for Change. Please stay tuned for our next episode and have a great day. Thank you so much, Erin. I really appreciate this. You're welcome. Thanks for coming, Take care, everybody.